Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's continue. We're in chapter three. We've gone verse by verse through it, but there's something I want to point out. Having gone through the names of the contributors and the portions of the wall that they helped to rebuild, I want to talk about the whole so-and-so, son of so-and-so aspect of this chapter, because it does, it does speak to something important. For one thing, in the original context, this was before we had surnames or last names. It was before we had the ability to know, you know, uh, just in a quick word, who you were and where you came from, because there were, at this point in Earth's history, it was easy enough to know you're so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. And at some point along the line, you get this notoriety that would, in the context of Israel, establish your ties back to the original recipients of the promised land. And so we're only, a, we're only a couple of generations away from that. We have some people who remember the original Temple of Solomon. See Ezra chapter two, they're actually all crying out. Remember Ezra and Nehemiah were kind of one book originally. Nehemiah in some ancient manuscripts was called Second Ezra, I think in the Latin Vulgate and then uh, the, the Greek Septuagint, meaning the Greek translation of the Old Testament, its original Hebrew referred to this as Second Ezra. So you had some people who remembered the original temple and so we're not that many generations away, you know, from the monarchical years of Israel. And everybody wanted to kind of establish their, their lineage back to the original 12 tribes of Israel, the original recipients of the promised land. The, the, this was part of Hebrew culture to establish your references really well, to have a solid sense of bookkeeping at play. In, in our modern day context, this manifests itself in say like footnotes when you write a research paper. You gotta show your source so that people know you're not just making it up. You're not just trying to worm your way into a piece of God's promised land for God's covenant people. But it also indicated, it also, it also tells a story about the future generations that would inherit what was being built here. As we're in a building campaign, it's something that's on my heart a lot, something that we consider a lot. Uh, it's something to, to prayerfully consider. It's something to celebrate in anticipation that you'd be a part of the original construction of this thing is a really cool thought for what stories your kids will say. Hopefully they won't walk around all like privileged and high and mighty and act entitled uh, the next time somebody tries to repaint the wall that you built. Uh, hopefully, they, hopefully we won't raise our kids to be brats, right? But it is pretty cool to know that we're building something that our kids will receive. And we're leaving a mark, even physically, on the landscape of Seattle, of all areas, to the kingdom of God, to the glory of God. You know that we're, we're in the least churched state in the US. And so what we're doing here is going to matter. Uh, it's just brick and it's just mortar and it's just steel and glass and that's all that it is, but what it represents is quite beautiful. That the physical landscape of the area would be changed because of the move of the kingdom of God in this city is really, really cool. May our next generation of the Redemption Church, or if you're using these resources after the fact, may the next generation benefit from the beautiful legacy that's left behind, even in a physical manifestation, for your contributions to the kingdom. Consider that and give. Consider that and show up to the construction site with your tool belt. Consider that and pray for the campaign. Consider that and thank God for what he's currently doing and how should the Lord 
delay in his coming, future generations will say, look at what God did back then.